Hi, and welcome to the second ever SEPAD pod, the podcast that is being hosted by the Richardson Institute and its Carnegie Corporation-funded project Sectarianism, Proxies and Desectarianization. And today, I'm really excited to have on a, a very special guest, Banaf Shekhenoush, who is an author, someone who's done a lot of really fascinating work on, on a key dimension of, of our project, looking at the rivalry or the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And this is something that I've, I've spent quite a bit of time working on. So when I started this podcast series, I was really keen to get Banafshe on. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. So Banafshe, welcome. And thank you so much again for, for taking the time to do this. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, I've, I've read your book a couple of times. I did a review of it um, for a couple of different journals, actually, and I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. And I enjoyed how you, you set up a quite optimistic view of things and and how you, you couched it in your own personal experience. So I wonder, for those people that, that haven't read it yet, and I, I urge you to read it if you haven't done so, could you just tell us a little bit about your background, please? Absolutely. Uh, and beforehand, I'd like to tell you how honored I am that you have read my book and have uh, spent the time to review it. Um, I grew up um, for a fair amount of my time in life in Iran and during the Iran-Iraq war. And right. at the time... Um, I was fascinated by the war propaganda narrative in Iran. Uh, it was the pre-internet age, and we did not have access to other narratives. Sure. And therefore, um, the specific narrative that we were exposed to posed several questions in my mind, specifically about well, what is Saudi Arabia? Who is Saudi Arabia? We right. had a basic and fundamental understanding that it was Iraq's neighbor. And sure. at the time, we were told that it was Iran's enemy. But it was very curious that um, I felt that the, the descriptions given about Saudi Arabia were not satisfying. It was right. always cast in a dark light. And we never received information exactly and precisely why Saudi Arabia had chosen to support Iraq in the course of the war with Iran. I myself lost friends and loved ones um, in the war. Uh, a part of my family are of Iranian Arab heritage. Um, they became internally displaced, and it was tremendously sad to watch their lives as I grew up uh, during the war. Um, but that, that actually made me want to really understand what Saudi Arabia's role vis-a-vis -vis Iran in, in the war was. And it was then that I promised myself that I will one day dig into this subject. Right. Well, that's, that's really fascinating. We've had other people on and, and they too have expressed a real normative agenda, a real desire to understand things as a, as a consequence of their own, their own histories, their own experiences. So it, it's really interesting to, to hear you talk about your own experience in, in shaping this. So with that in mind then, where, where did you go from there? After deciding you, you had this real interest in understanding this, this other, this darkly portrayed Saudi Arabia, then, then where did life take you? 
Well, I wanted to study international relations. And I was told in Iran that as a woman, I was not allowed to pursue that field at the master's level. Right. Uh, my best chance was to get a bachelor's degree in political science. And beyond that, women were not supposed to get involved in politics. So I packed my suitcase once I um, was admitted uh, to Tufts University and uh, came to the state, United States with right. the idea of, of studying in the field. And I chose to write my PhD on the topic of the Saudi-Iranian relations. And my advisors encouraged me to turn it into a book. Um, when I went around, you know, I, um, trying to write the book, I was discouraged immediately by uh, sort of the black and white views of Saudi Arabia that were common at the sure. time. And uh, many people, in fact, most um um, even try to tell me that there was no point in writing a book about Saudi Arabia and Iran, um, that the relationship between the two was basically a variable of the relationship between Iran and the United States. And um, having lived through the war, I, I beg to differ with that opinion, because if anything, the war had taught me that um, life is not black and white. There are many shades. And I was even more determined to discover what the nuances of the Saudi-Iranian relationship were that others had previously not spoken about. Right, that, that's really interesting to hear you talk like that, to, to hear you talk about how, how many people view, view Saudi as, as a, I guess, a part of the broader struggle rivalry between the US and Iran. And that's, that's a view that I think is, is particularly common amongst a number of people I've spoken to, but but I have some problems with it because it, it denies the, the, the agency of, of Saudi Arabia, which has a very long and proud uh, tradition of, of acting in the region. And I think that that's really what you're trying to uh, what you're trying to get at. Absolutely. You, you framed it uh, perfectly right. And that that to me is, is really interesting. But I wonder, could you tell us a little bit about about this dark framing of Iran of Saudi Arabia within Iran then, please? Um, yes. Uh, at the time the narrative was quite um, actually simplistic. Right. It that uh, Iraq had attacked Iran, uh, but that it was told to do so by Saudi Arabia. And that the war between Iran and Iraq was actually not between Tehran and Baghdad, but between uh, Tehran and Riyadh. Um, if, if you remember at the time, the founder of the Islamic Revolution in Iran, Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, was very anxious to be viewed as an acceptable Muslim figure. Yeah. And he was very keen specifically not to turn the people of Iraq against Iran. He himself had lived in Iraq in exile. Of course. He had befriended Iraqis. And he was of the opinion that the day will come when Iran and Iraq will be one and the same. And um, the war propaganda as a result was, I believe, uh, though I have no evidence of that in my hand, was encouraged then to turn uh, the wrath, of the anger of war towards the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And so, you know, as a teenager, um, 
I understood that there's hardly anyone in Iran who knows enough about Saudi Arabia. The only version that I myself could receive about uh, the narratives of the kingdom were from pilgrims or a few politicians who would go there to try to negotiate ceasefires, etc. Sure. And it was just flabbergasting that whenever I spoke to them, you know, the the narrative was just as simplistic as what we heard on radio and television, that there's not much to know about Saudi Arabia. Um, in fact, people told me, what do you care about it? It's just a big desert there. Um, I'm like, well, well, what is it like? What is pilgrimage like? And, you know, Iranians um, were very uninterested in Saudi Arabia. And the more uninterested I found that they were, the more interested I became <laughs> in the kingdom. Right, that's that's not surprising, I guess. When when we're sort of pushed away from something, the the intellectually curious are immediately drawn to that thing that we're dissuaded from looking at. I guess. Yes, yes, it was a child's mind at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's fascinating. Just just hearing that type of that type of framing, because ultimately these are two two neighbors. These are two regional powers who have who have a, a very close geographical relationship. It's, it's not all that far between the, the sort of the eastern co province of, of Saudi Arabia and the western coast of Iran. So it seems very odd that there is such, such limited knowledge in Iran of, of Saudi Arabia, because it doesn't seem to me that, that the same rings true of the Saudi side. Uh, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, there is, I always say, more to your point, only a sliver of a gulf between the two. Uh, and, um, you know, it's so small that you can just get on a boat on a daily basis and cross it to the other side. When I arrived in Saudi Arabia, I discovered that they were far more affectionate towards Iranians than I, as an Iranian, can say we were towards Saudi Arabia. And I say that with, with deep sadness and regret. Um, there was and still is an overwhelming sense of empathy in Iran uh, towards Saudi Arabia. And as you know, to a large extent towards Arabs, although Iran's yes. close relations with Iraq have shifted that a bit in recent years. Um, yeah. But the Saudis, um, my my immediate experience was that they were very pleased to see an Iranian interested in learning about their country. And they were very welcoming. And if anything, I felt so at home in Saudi Arabia in many ways because I was in a, exchanging views and ideas with Saudi scholars and elite and politicians and policy influencers. And it reminded me very much of Iran before the revolution. I myself had grown up in a diplomatic family before the revolution, and we were marginalized after the revolution. And so, if anything, I, I was really happy to be in Saudi Arabia and be able to learn about their perspective of Iran. All right. Okay. Well, I think that, that optimism that and that, that positivity that you speak about, and it, it's really easy to, to hear the warmth in your voice when you, when you recall that time, that positivity comes out in the book. And as someone who's spent a good deal of time working on, on this relationship or rivalry, as, as we may call it from time to time, someone else who did a, a PhD on this topic, I have a far gloomier picture of of the the rivalry between the two states and it it's fascinating to read your book which which paints a far more optimistic picture i think 
Um, well, um, thank you. First of all, I empathize with your point of view as well, because you are absolutely correct that the prospects of the relations are and have been gloomy for uh, too long. Yes. And by all indications will remain so. But um, from my perspective, as you also said, um, I, I also saw uh, a different side of Saudi Arabia. Uh, in fact, when I spoke with most Saudis, they were very eager to convey to me that they view Iran as a large and powerful neighbor. And their understanding of Iran is very different from the U.S. understanding of Iran. Um, their understanding of Iran as a neighbor is that whatever goes wrong in Iran, the Saudis will be immediately affected by it more than the United States. Of course. But they are the ones who'd have to cover the costs and consequences of disruptions inside Iran in any form or manner. And if anything, the costly war between Iran and Iraq, in which Saudi Arabia, after the, the, going into the second, into the third year of the war, we know financially started uh, openly backing Iraq, um, is is for is for Saudi Arabia to bear, and Saudi Arabia itself is going through many shifts and changes, as you know better than I do, and it is a cost that they remain unwilling to pay um, in terms of having to deal with Iran's problems. Having said that, my understanding comes closer to your narrative and understanding of the issue, and that is that. Over time, as the two states become weaker in tackling and managing their problems, um, they are going to be less capable of addressing those problems. And that is where you, the sense of gloom uh, that you have is very valid indeed. Yeah, I, I, I think what you've just said really rings true when I, when I think about the end of the Gulf War, uh, sorry, the end of the Iran-Iraq War, and, and that that moment of possibility, you've got a number of states that that started to become weaker and you had a, a crisis in Iran, you had a devastating earthquake that, that Saudi Arabia ended up uh, financing some of the rebuilding and some of the humanitarian aid for. And and I think that's really interesting that, that you're talking about the, the sort of the political and emotional investment of Saudi Arabia in Iran. And and that fragmentation is is potentially simultaneously a source of possibility, but also more likely a um, a source of, of negativity and and um, fear and concern, I guess. It is, and if, as far as Saudi Arabia is concerned. Its investments over time do not pay back. And if the, uh, the cost of managing the challenge of Iran is heavier than confronting Iran, which unfortunately the region is moving towards in terms of um, the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran itself, um, then Saudi Arabia will back away from from trying to tackle the Iranian issue. Um, it, it tries to keep it as a constant headache at, uh, for, for as long as it can. Um, um, but, you know, there may sadly come a point where the cost of even considering Iran a headache will become heavier than the cost of challenging it 
uh, full on. And and I pray that before that time arrives, uh, the work of good people like yourself and your institute and the research and efforts that we have put into understanding the relationship between the two countries will come in handy. Um, I, I am certain that, that the people in Saudi Arabia and Iran want nothing um, of, of any sort of a, of a direct conflict. But as they, as you say, as they become weaker, we can see the many problems that arise in their uh, relations become less and less fixable. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you on that point. I've spoken to a number of Saudis who've been very concerned about how how this relationship or rivalry is playing out and have said, well, why don't we find a different way of engaging with them? One that one that demonstrates the sort of the mutual interests that both states have in terms of the economy or something like that. So I wonder then, what, what sort of hope or what sort of strategies do you think could be put in place to try and de-escalate tensions between the two? When two sides are weak, even mutual interests, as you know better than I, um, are not sufficient to 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 reestablish a bond. Uh, and what's sad about the Saudi-Iranian relationship is, as you mentioned in the beginning, um, the natural bonds between them. They are, after all, neighbors. They share a waterway. Um, despite our different... Um, you know, um, cultures and different faith-based approaches to Islam, which we know are significant. In fact, there's there are far more similarities between Iranians and Saudis than differences. It's just you know on a on a human basis. Um, but 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 back to your question. Um, you know, as 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 lofty and important as goals of establishing mutual interests and building on it are, there is a reason why it hasn't worked so far. And I've tried to address that uh, in my writing. And, and as you know, I've said that the reason for that is that for too long, the balance of power between Saudi Arabia and Iran has been disturbed because of the political tensions in the region, in which in no small part, foreign um, forces and foreign countries have also had an important role to play. Yeah. In other words, in tipping that balance of power, in disrupting the, the organic ways in which Saudi Arabia and Iran could have bonded as neighbors. And for that relationship to be restored, um, we have to as the as an international community put our minds together to understand how best to help Saudi Arabia and Iran and i'm speaking above regimes regardless of regimes i'm just speaking of two countries how best at any given point of time may we think of strategies to allow them to rebalance the power distribution between them across the region. There are areas where that balance of power has significantly favored Saudi Arabia by, for example, through its relationship with the United States. There are areas where that balance of power has favored Iran, for example, through its influence and interventions in the Arab world and in Arab conflict zones. 
it is a complicated affair. But if there's any hope for the future, we have to retain the balance of power between them and then everything else will come in. There's a lot of natural asset there, as you say, mutual interest, young people. They, they will come together when that fundamental question is addressed. I think so. And I think the the thing that I took out of your book when reading it is that it doesn't have to be, this relationship doesn't have to be characterized by enmity. It it can be more positive than it is. I, the, the subtitle to your book, which is entitled Saudi Arabia and Iran, Friends or Foes, it doesn't need to be a fixed hostility. And I think that's that's the most positive thing that that I take out of your book and your writings that that things can evolve, things can be different. And sorry, please. Yes, absolutely. And if we go back to the history of the Saudi-Iranian relationship since its formation, we realize that from the start, their relationship wasn't about good neighborliness alone. It was really about, well, how do we deal with the balance of power in the Gulf region? And that's back in 1929. Of course. Before World War II and after, immediately after World War II. So perhaps we don't need to really think of well, you know, them as, as two close buddies or friends, but really two rational states that must show continued capability at fixing, as you say, the relationship through addressing the imbalances of power between them. Well, on that slightly optimistic note, or more optimistic than others, let's say, I think we're (laughs) rapidly uh, out of time. So all that remains for me to say is thank you so much, Banafsha. It's been a pleasure to connect with you. and, And for everyone else, I urge you to read her book, Saudi Arabia and Iran, Friends or Foes. It's a fascinating read, a really important read that that challenges a lot of the conventional views about this relationship between the two great Gulf powers. So, Banafshe, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, until the next one, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.